I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. Hello and welcome to Fever FM on this beautiful, crisp uh, summer's evening in Wellington. Um, we're here to talk tonight about the men's game versus Perth and the women's versus Melbourne City. Tonight I am joined by the skeleton crew that is uh, Dale and Dave. Hello, gents. Hello, hello. Good evening. Cam might join us. Cam we're has not, other we're not obligations sure. and unfortunately Helena has work things, you know. They pay her, I guess she gets to do those things. Let's crack on to it, as I say every week, and I have been reminded of, but I say it nonetheless. Uh, the men's game, up first versus uh, victory. This was this was an interesting game, gents, for a lot of reasons, and I'm sure you've got your opinions. Um, let's go through the squad first up. Top of the table versus second on the table, uh, Paulson, Lucas Kelly-Heald, Scott Wooten, Finn Sermon, Tim Payne, Alex Rufer, Nick Pennington, Bodajar Krajev, Costa Barbarusas, Ben Old, and David Ball starting. This was a bit of a boxing match, gents. And I say that as in tactical, not as in punches thrown. We'll get to that later. Um, how did you see this opening kind of 15 minutes? I thought victory probably started uh, stronger. I think yeah, yeah, had a bit more of the ball, uh, put us in a bit of pressure, but without creating kind of anything too um, clear cut. But I th- they, they felt like they just started a bit stronger, and then we kind of came into it after maybe you know fifteen or so, and it and, and and not in a not in a way that I thought we looked you know especially good. Like I think we we struggled at times, but I think it just sort of evened out a little bit more um, than than the first sort of ten or fifteen. I mean, without without saying. Either team looked good. I think this this felt like a match and an, and an early start to the match that was befitting of a first versus second. It felt quite even. I don't think either team was playing at their best by any stretch, but it definitely felt like it was quite an even contest. Um, I think they started a little stronger. We kind of came into it, but it did feel like two teams kind of feeling each other out a bit, expecting this to be a tough game, you know, not wanting to get caught at the other end, but still wanting to, you know, try and create something. So... Like I said, I don't, I don't think this was champagne football by any stretch, which you might think when I say it looked like a game of first versus second. But I mean, it looked it looked re- reasonably even. It looked a bit cagey. It looked like it was going to become a good game. Uh, yeah, that first 15 for me just felt a bit like, yeah, one, they were sizing each other up, but two, two fairly astute tacticians who were kind of well aware of the strengths of the other teams and were really just making sure that they nullify those early on. It did open up a little bit further after that. Um, we saw, was it Mashashi played a bit of a dominant role in getting that position promoted, but there was a um, David Ball shot. Did you feel he should have done better, or is this just one of those things that just didn't fall for him properly? Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I think he was quite wide out, and um, I think the, the the shot was, I wouldn't say close, but I guess the, the first, seemed like the first shot at on, on at goal that I think of the first game. So, but yeah, I thought, you know, the times that we did win the ball high up, we caused them a little bit more trouble than when we tried to sort of play through them or play on the yeah. counter. But yeah, probably not the most clearest charts, certainly not as clear as the uh, the penalty shout, that's for sure. 
Well, let's get on to that penalty shout. I mean, for me, this was the better of all, the best of all the penalty shouts in the whole game. Even as a defender, I see this as dragging Cry back, and I realise I have tinted glasses on, etc. Did you guys not think that that was too much contact? Contact by um, the defender there on Crive. I've watched the replay again. I still think it looks like a pen to me. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it looks like the better of the two chances. I think both penalty shouts are at the softer end. Um, I think for different reasons, but I think both are penalties for my mind. I mean, this seemed like a pen on the at the time and watching replay. I definitely think. I think there's a watching the the replay. There's a shot from I think the goal goal camera. And, and you can see that is it Troy? Troy, I think has he st- he starts with one arm, his left arm dragging Crave back because he's got on the inside of him. By the end, he's got a second arm also pulling him back, and you can see Cry's body not just yeah. fall back, but also tilt back from the way he's coming. And for me, that's the that's the clearest yeah. indication that you know Crave isn't like just falling to the ground looking for a penalty. There's actually a twisting of the body that would you would reflect what you think would happen based on that and if you've got two arms yeah and there's a little bit always a bit of you know juggling and, and stuff like that but i think when as soon as you've got two hands like that i think that's and and you know he does get a decent shot away but he is basically horizontal by that point you know without that pull you know he's he's probably got a far better better chance of of you know scoring or at least a better connection that will get past the keeper well that was what i thought with the side on angle especially when you see cry of just basically levitating his feet out because he's just running full tilt and his legs are going and the rest of him's being held back i just couldn't see how the ref didn't see it that way but they didn't and not and not just the ref but var as well right because i i can see how maybe in, in live you think oh he's just gone down easy but i i just i see the video and i think it, it's just it's clear to me i don't think it's yeah i don't think it's that controversial at all yeah, I mean, if, if VAR has, has said that there's enough incorrectness in the, the latter penalty shout, I, I think there's more incorrectness in this one. I, I, if, you've, if you've brought him over to have a look, I don't know why you wouldn't do the same for this one. Because you know, unless there's some kind of footage from a different angle that we haven't seen that says, you know, Cryov was shirt pulling first or, or something similar, yeah. based on what we've seen, it, it looked like a penalty to me. And if that's the case, it's an absolute red card as well. Yeah, but if he's doing that, then it's a free kick. It's not a goal kick, right? It's a free kick the other way. Yeah, I think I think that he's saying that might be a mitigating factor for VAR, right? If VAR's going, yeah, there's a shirt pull, but actually Cryev pulls first, so realistically we'd be calling you back to see a penalty with a free kick before it, we'll just take the goal kick. Like he's, VAR's not getting involved to make that sort of decision, right? It's, it's going, nah, there's no penalty because of the foul first. Yeah, it'd be nice to kind of hear reasoning for these things sometimes just on those sorts of issues. I, I think the second one is quite blatant. Well, maybe we should get to that later. Um, Games seemed to not open up a little bit, but chances started coming. Half chances started coming, I think, is a nice way of putting it. We saw Azani, as much as I hate the guy, getting in behind a bit. Kelly Heald, obviously, a bit of a tough marking for a bloke who's traditionally a you know nominally he's a center back having to play wide against someone that's you know he's quick and good with the ball but i get the impression that azani's was one of these guys that at one stage he beat kelly healed 
And Rufu was already there because he knew that Azani was not passing and just took the ball off him. It, I, I wonder if maybe if Azani learned to pass, he would be twice the player that he is. It, it's one of those ones where it's, it's frustrating because I think if you if you just watch the highlights and there are, there are these people on social media who will sing his praises quite loudly. And I, I can see why because there are highlight reel stuff that comes from him. But for me, it comes at the expense of, you know, for every one highlight reel moment he has, he has five where he's held the ball five touches too long or, yeah. you know, like all that kind of stuff, which you don't, I think if you're looking with the rose tinted glasses, you can see some real gold in there. But I think if I was his coach, I'd be telling him the gold's not worth it, mate. Just, just play the easy ball sometimes because you're losing the ball far too often if you play the- um and you know do- throwing himself to the ground and you know just just all that stuff that it's like these are just sh- shitty giveaways that you shouldn't be giving and every so often there's a little bit of cold- gold coming out of it too so yeah i think if you're if you're an opposing fan you see that you see the terrible touches you see the buffing himself to a, the deck a lot more than you see the the one time where he beats two players and puts in a great cross you know while we're bagging him, I'll just cover a couple of other times where he did the 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 gesture of that. I think being old died. Oh yeah, when he dived. When, oh now. yeah, and I was like the fucking irony of that guy. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he was on he was on corner duties for lots of the games, and lots of their corners are yeah. like straight out. And then they get a free kick straight in front, and Brummer sets up to take it, and he's like having this little chipper about no, it's me. And then he he looks to the bench to try and get an indication from like I guess Tony Popovich that you know, that he should be on it. And then, yeah, I think Brimmer first falls uh, like a pretty handy save from, from Paulson. So like yeah. the, like the histrionics and the like little, little tantrums that go on, like, oh man, he must be the most frustrating, like, I don't know, player to mark or, or even probably in your team, I think. Oh, definitely in yeah. your team. 100%. You think about all the times that all those, there were, there was players making runs and Azani keeps the ball. And they're just looking at him like they don't even see, seem to get as frustrated as you think they would just because I reckon that they're just used to it. They're just like, fuck, he's done it again. Just, okay, well, I made the run. Coach saw it. Cool. Let's just roll on. Yeah, the, you did mention the, the, you know, the time when he does actually get, get a good cross in. That one where he dipped to the, to the uh, goal line uh, and cut the ball back. Brilliant move. But it almost felt like no one believed that there was anything on the offing, and he definitely wasn't passing there. And then he did, and no one got to it. Yeah, it would have been yeah, would have been dead set goal if anyone had. I mean, it should have been. I think. I think what does this? I was watching the ring. I was like, how does anyone miss this? I think this is this is actually quite. Uh, I don't want to say good defending from Tim Payne, but maybe fortuitous where he because he's facing towards his own. He kind of puts his foot out to kind of put a block on their ball as it's coming through the middle and I think realises if he does it's going to go straight in and then pulls out and I think that kind of dummy then um, means the guy on the back post doesn't get a clear shot at it or was not expecting it and doesn't wrap his foot around it so it's kind of a It's a bit of a high risk uh, play to dummy the, the block Yes, yeah it's um, it's Valupale, I think, who yeah. plays at this, right? Which which becomes interesting because he he then ends up involved in the other chances for victory, which I just think is interesting. That this you look at this and this should have been the easiest tap in of the night, right? He should have should have just slotted this home, like he's standing right there and just air swings at it, but should be in. Yeah, um, we we saw Costa get another uh, lesser low low percentage chance. I think yeah. he's, but man, he's just looking like he's a player that is full of confidence now. I mean, yeah, 
why wouldn't he be? But he looks electric. He looks like he's 25 again. I, I can't get over the difference in his play between the beginning of the season and now. It, it's, it's astonishing to me. So, uh, it's, it's funny how a couple of weeks ago I joked about it's contract renewal time as a thing about and then he mentioned it like the week after saying so I think he got a press conference he got the same question he says oh well my contract's up so I've better play he said well it to Archie apparently oh was it to Archie was yeah. it yeah there you go yeah Archie got his name right so you know that's that's a bonus right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is funny but yeah I mean fair enough if if you want your form to come right it's when the contracts are getting flapped around so fair dues to him the offside I guess we've got to get onto that this kind of hurt right you knew that this is the sort of game where one goal was going to win it if you were going to get points from a game it's definitely offside right no question miles offside it's it's yeah yeah definitely offside the, the thing that confuses me is i think it's economides isn't who who's in, in front and he actually gets a touch to the ball as it goes in yeah and, and then but then i don't understand then what if that's the case there's it's either a black and white offside or not right but then the the referee gets sent over to VAR which means their question about whether the question is 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 he involved in the play i.e. is he get in the way of of Paulson but if he's made he's a touch touched it, it he's offside, the, this it's offside is the, so yeah I, I was very confused by this I I thought I thought genuinely that they hadn't seen the touch that was my take on this that they they were looking at only the obstruction because I agree I thought I thought the touch was pretty clear but I just, I just think in that particularly live and maybe on the first instance of the replays, the VAR hadn't seen the touch. And so they thought, oh, shit, you better come over and have a look at whether this is obstruction. And maybe as they watched the replays, they then saw the touch. Because in fairness, I, I hadn't seen the touch until we saw about five replays of it too, yeah. right? Like he needed the right angle. The front-on yeah. angle showed the so, touch clearly, but every other one, it's like... But yeah, they were talking about these but I, I, yeah. weird rules, right? You know, oh, he's behind the keeper because the keeper stepped up, and I'm like, it seems fairly straightforward. I, I think they were thinking that Kelly Hill was actually on the line, which he wasn't when the ball was played. Yeah. So I think he, they were trying to see whether he's in front of the second-class defender, which is Paulson. But and the funny thing about this is, is Economides, he ended up in the in the lead up to this. He there's a cross coming, I think, and he tries to you know leap like a salmon and and for a header misses it and falls into the back of the goal and if he just stays there this is absolutely a goal yes. regardless. like i don't think there's any way that paulson saves this if he's there or not i think it's just a well-hit shot um coming through a couple of defenders but the fact that he gets up tries to get back on side costs them a goal because I, I don't see how paulson saves that without him there i, when he, even if I was thinking the there. same thing if he just stays in the goal he's out of play it's fine you know at least yeah. you but yeah, I just I, once again, this is Valupale who's who's the man having the shot here. So he's had that that air swing that should have been a goal, and then he has this one chalked off. Brilliant, going well for him already. <laughs> yeah, it certainly did well for us. Um, we should probably talk about the um, some of the defending in the game uh, for this first forty odd minutes. It was pretty brutal. There were some some tackles, especially by Victory, a little bit by the Knicks as well, but especially by Victory that were at best cynical and some of them were fairly um 
strong, vigorous tackles, I think. Um, Traore <laughs> was guilty of at least a couple in there, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, I, th- I think we were, all the tackles you're referring to there, all the cynical ones, were largely Traore. I think I think in this first half alone, he probably commits three, four yellow card offences and gets away with most of them. He, pick, he picks up the yellow yeah. eventually, but by the time he got it, you were thinking, my God, he should have been off several times already now he's he's smart enough once he gets it you know he's gonna he's gonna ease back and he's gonna get through the rest of the game um, at least most of the time and he he does exactly that but the number of the number of cynical things he was doing and getting away with only leads to him doing more because he, he's happy getting a yellow card here otherwise he wouldn't have still been doing it because as soon as he gets one it cuts out pretty much immediately yeah because he gets one on the the late shot on cry and the commentators thought they didn't think that much in it but i thought I don't think he gets near anywhere near the ball. No. Um, but I think like t- two minutes before then, he goes through the back of the Tim Payne, I think, yeah. on the touchline. It absolutely cleans him up. And I'm like, like yep. this. That's the kind of thing where you say, right, um, this is my setting my standard here. Yellow card, move on, right? Yeah. I mean, and that, I'm not saying that, you know, he should be seen, he, you know, he'd do the second tackle if he got a yellow for the first or anything like that. But yeah. there, there were a couple of decent shots in there. And, yeah, I don't know whether that contributes to the, the tackle that Payne does, or whether you know it's just a, a coincidence. But um, I think when you when you see a couple of decent hits go relatively unpunished, yeah, you somewhere do. In, my, in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, "Oh, I've got a free shot here somewhere." You're not thinking that in your back of your mind a lot of the time, Dale. Come on, I have seen you play. <laughs> it is front of mind, tattooed on your head in neon letters. <laughs> it's like free shot. I'm I'm having this on you, pal. It certainly puts everyone in a position where they think the threshold is very high, right? Like you can, some referees, a strongish tackle is going to be a yellow all day. Whereas other referees, the strong ones are going to be fine, but just don't cross the line. And you're thinking it's one of those games. You're thinking, good, there's going to be a little, a little bit of venom to tackles for the next 90 minutes, right? So you are going to go in stronger when that's the threshold that's been set. As you say, I don't, I don't think it directly contributes to Payne's tackle and it doesn't excuse what ends up happening because, I mean, it, it's a red card for sure. But you have set a standard in terms of what you're expecting that threshold to be for the tackles all day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Some of the, I mean, it seemed a very deliberate ploy to to stop the Knicks breaking. You know, just make sure if that ball got turned over in the back, in the you know the attacking third for Melbourne, foul early, foul hard, get the person on the ground, so at least there's not a body kind of contributing to the attack. Let's get on to Tim Payne. this is just, he's had a heavy touch. He's been running up and down already for 40-odd minutes and been making a lot of long runs. The heavy touch has got him, and he's left his feet with two feet. I mean, I think you've already said it, Dave. It's not really defensible, is it? No. I mean, it's a red card. I, I mean, you can, you can talk about he's a bit unlucky. You can talk about all of that. I, there, there's one in the um, Brisbane Raw Mariners game as well. Uh, which oh, you, is, yeah. it, is it the Mariners game? It's, it's Brisbane Raw versus someone, whichever that game was. Newcastle. Um, Newcastle, sorry, you're right. I was like, Mariners didn't feel right. Uh, but in that game, that's incredibly similar. And you could talk about unlucky all you like, but if your studs hit someone partway up the shin, it's a red card. Tough, tough luck, whether or not it was unlucky or he came out of the, the blind side or you had no intent or all, all that shit. It's a red card. It's tough luck. You the, left the, your feet. the rules are, you the rules are pretty clear about it. Your studs are there. They've made contact. I'm sorry, but you're taking a shower. I think that's valid. It's it's something I would like to see enforced a little more vigorously in the A-League. Because a lot of the time they're like, 
oh, I didn't make full contact or something. And it's like, yeah, that's the lucky bit. It didn't snap his yeah. leg in half. He still left his feet. He still showed those studs. That boot was still high. It, it, it's really getting players to not do that, I think, is, you know. And again, it's those those early yellows you talk about, Dale. It, you know, just to set the standard, it's like, lads, stay on your feet, stay in control. I mean, when we're talking cards, I think the amazing thing for me about this, not only thinking about the the kind of all the minutes prior to the red card, but the rest of the game after this, there is only one yellow card in this entire game. And it's that that card to Traore. So all of the other cynical things that happen both ways, in fairness, there is only that one card. And I think it's one of the ye- least yellow card worthy things that happens in the game. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it, it, it was just bizarre to me that this this felt like a game that should have had four or five cards in it yellow cards total right but there's tim Payne's red and there's that one yellow for Traore out of this whole 90 minutes of football and that just that blows my mind i mean i guess we've got to talk about the um defensive effort realistically this was 40 odd solid minutes of very disciplined defense say what you like about you know there was a bit of niggle and there was a bit of there was a bit of um hard solid challenging and very defensive tactics this was a i mean for me it was a performance with a lot of heart uh you know it wasn't a team that gave up at all um what do you put that down to dale or do you disagree i think a couple of things are helpful one i think pain getting sent off before half time like two minutes before half time is better than two minutes after half time uh because yep. you got the whole break to to kind of work on your you know structure and stuff like that I think I said to someone at halftime, I said, this is, this is not the worst case scenario, I think, for this kind of team. Like, we are a team that, in general, and, and it's not a case across the whole season or across all the games, that we are fairly resolute defensively. You know, we put a couple of, we defend our box well. And we're limiting people to long, long range chances. So this isn't the worst, this isn't something we haven't, yeah, we haven't, uh, we've done this quite a bit. And, you know, we score some, you know, pretty reasonable, you know, counter-attacking goals. So, like, it's not the worst team to have to play, you know, to be down to 10 men. In some ways, there's this kind of, in the back of my mind, there was this, uh, it's the Phoenix, top of the table, front of a good crowd, and we're going to collapse and lose 3-0 and be like, ugh, the whole deflating. We're going to mix it up. And, and yet we didn't do that. So, yeah, maybe that's just a one-off, but maybe it's a sign of, of something a bit more deeper than... Than just a bit of luck um you know that we yeah we're well organized well disciplined know our roles got a system that suits our players all that kind of stuff can i take you to a couple of the, the stats behind it we've been we've had clean sheets with a new coach a new uh basically a new back line and a new keeper and i can't remember how many clean sheets it's like three right five i think oh even even more it was three in a row i think it's that's not traditionally a strength of the Knicks at the best of times. It's definitely not a strength of a, a new young team. I mean, we were talking all you know all through this seat, the beginning of the season that eventually we're going to make horrible mistakes, right? It's because of it's a young team, and it's a new coach. You'd expect them to be learning tactics on the go. The fact that they've done that speaks it speaks to me to be a, quite the pattern. You know, it, when you look at it in hindsight. This is kind of something that you would expect a team that's defended that way to be able to do. The long, yeah, it's one of those things. I think the longer it goes, the more you know you get in terms of confidence. The more the opposition gets frustrated, and I think you could visibly start seeing that at times. You know, I think with maybe twenty minutes to go, I think they 
they did three subs so in a row and i think that was probably a sign that they were getting frustrated because up until that point they barely created anything they're just like knocking it around trying to do sort of flicks in our box getting it wide trying to do delivery and not really having anything of of note that they ended up having a you know a couple of of half chances and even the goal was yeah could have gone anywhere really it was a shank i think someone posited that it was closer to being a, a throw-in than it was to being a goal and who was it again your boy Valupale having a great time of it. Yeah, was it? Oh yeah, he he puts in a shot <laughs> and he's and he's hit it fucking ten yards wide and gets gets a touch on it. It's in. It's like how'd that happen, mate? You'd you'd missed again. This was your third time you were missing out on a goal tonight, and somehow it comes out in his favour. But yeah, if, even Chapman didn't know, didn't know much about it. It's seemed no. more to hit his shins than he sort of you know oh, coolly yeah. like side footed at home. It just felt like he kind of angled his body and like almost trying to get out of the way or something that kind of ricocheted off his I felt like he was setting up for the rebound off the keeper you know he's just like I'm looking for a bad you know a bad save and I can just yeah tap it in um Dave I want to ask you a question about um Popovich <laughs> okay <laughs> well no it's you're you're more tactically astute than I am um am I I don't know if this is true I've been finding him very defensively sound, but he doesn't seem to be able to impose a particular style on the attacking players. Like, I know you've got these, I don't want to say rogue elements like Arzani, but, you know, these natural players. Do you think it's just he he can't find a style that works for them or that they just go off book anyway or... To be honest, it's probably a bit of both. I think I think you're right, though. I think in terms in terms of their attack, I think if you if you break down the stats of this game, the stats would tell the same story you're telling. Of of they had about twenty shots and only six of them were on target, and and the majority of their shots are inside the box. It's not like they're it's not like they're taking pops from range or anything like that. You know, they are they're getting into the box, they're having shots, and they're either blocked or they're putting them wide. And so when you do have a team that has kind of this many what you'd say should be good attackers for this league and you're still struggling to put shots on target clearly something's not working there right like either either the the positions they're having these shots from or the situations they're in isn't working so i think at a certain point particularly against 10 men where you should be able to impose yourself a little like this this is a victory side who should be good enough to at least put away a 10-man side um, even if they are defensively playing well. So they they couldn't find what it was to unlock us, right? The goal they end up getting is a, a completely missed shot that takes a lucky ricochet. They didn't unlock us at the back at all, all game, um, except for maybe the air swing. That's the one moment that you'd say that probably should have been the goal and fair play to them. But they, they managed that once in the entire 90 minutes. So exactly what it is i don't know but you'd have to know what he's asking them to do right is he asking them to play with some freedom to to be a bit um a bit more expressive in their play use the space or is he is he trying to play something quite regimented and they're ignoring it it's it's hard to know but whatever it is it's not working um because yeah they're they're getting into the positions and the chances i mean i don't know what the xg is for this game um, i don't have it in front of me but it clearly isn't as good as it should be against 10 men with the attacking quality they have we mentioned obviously the goal going in was seventy eighth minute. I mean, after this, what really surprised me about this, Melbourne didn't kind of effectively shut up shop. They had all the ball, but were still intent on pushing players forward, and we caught them a couple of times on the counter. Which you know, no, it's no surprise to anyone that the Knicks counter well. That's something we've been doing well all year. 
there was Sut Scott and into space a couple of times. Um, there was the the um, Van Haddam shot that I thought you know could have cemented you know could have cemented a dose of confidence for him that he just didn't get you know just didn't get on target. And then obviously the opportunity that came where our man um, OVH again makes a breakup and. He was in a dangerous position, but not a you know not a horribly threatening position considering who he is, and just gets smashed to the point where no one even notices because I think that's too it's too clumsy to be a you know a, a bad challenge. Dave, I know you've got something to say. You, you've got your very pensive face on. Oh, I mean, I, 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 part of me kind of tongue-in-cheek wants to suggest that the reason they don't bother shutting up shop is because they've watched Oscar play. Um, you know, they know <laughs> they know he's going to run and he's getting in behind. But to be honest, the finished product, he just hasn't shown it yet. If you're, if you're scouting that team and you're looking at who the threat they're bringing off the bench is up front, you're thinking, give him a few yards, let him have a pop, aren't you? Like, surely that's that's how you deal with him based on if you've watched some scouting footage of him this season. And that's not to say he's not going to come right because I think he could hit a real purple patch because he, he gets a good play, places, he makes good runs, but even the penalty he ends up winning, right, is exactly that. He's in a good spot. It's a great ball. He takes a horrible touch and he's sending it wide. Like he's running to the byline and running that out unless he gets clattered, which he does. But all you had to do in that situation, to be honest, was is hang back and him? let him have the ball. Yeah, exactly. Just don't run through him. And it wasn't turning into a goal. So I think that might be part of why they weren't worried. I think if you, you know, if you were bringing a Roy Krishner off the bench or a David Williams or, a, you know, someone else from the Phoenix past, they might have dealt with this differently. But I think as soon as um, Van Hat comes on, I don't think, I don't think Popper's going great. We need to set up shop in front of the goal here because they've brought a threat on. I think he's gone, you know what? Let them have the counter. Best, best defense is a good offense. We'll keep it up the other end of the park. Um, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily wrong. But like I say, to some extent, that's slightly tongue-in-cheek. But I think if you were scouting and looking at Oscar Van Hat, I don't think you were worried about him coming on and causing you too much grief. And the proof was in exactly the reason we end up conceding. Just don't dive in on him. Let him have the ball. Just the type of defending that you should just pull your hair out. Like, as Dave said, like the ball's bouncing. It's up near waist height. There's no chance of him cutting inside you. You can kind of give him a, you know, a yard to like see where his touch goes. Then reassess, you know, they give you a bit more chance to get back. But he just kind of gets, you know, too close and, and it runs across him and, and clatters his, his leg. Too, that, I think you're doing, um, I, I think you're doing him a bit of a service there, mate. He runs right through his legs. He just he's running on an angle and doesn't stop and just takes his legs out. It, I mean, OBH was had his legs up to try and bring the ball down and just gets swung around ninety degrees. It was it was remarkable yeah. and in your goal box to just go, why? What are you doing? You've there's you and your goalkeeper back. You've got two people behind the ball. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty clear. I think. Even if he's got a bad touch, you know, you still you still can't be doing that. But it kind of encapsulates, I guess, the referee in that game where just about every decision, every major decision, he got wrong. Yeah, he just waved Absolutely. it away. Didn't even like. How can you say that to coming together and go? I, I don't. I don't know what he thinks has happened here because nothing about where the ball goes or anything suggests this could have gone particularly any other way than Van Hat being fouled. Like I just, I just don't see what he thinks happened there. Because to me, it just looks 
clear cut. It looked it looked like a penalty live. The ball goes in a particular direction that could have only been for a bat, and he's there so late. It's not it's not like it's kind of simultaneous. He hits him as as he's taking a touch. There's there's a touch, and then boom, straight through him. It was just I don't know. Yeah, to have to have to have that corrected. As, and they were talking about it on the commentary because I, I saw the replays of this, and you know, talking about oh, he's going away from goal and all that stuff. It's a foul. Who cares? Yeah. You know, yeah, it could be going backwards. Exactly. Doesn't doesn't matter if his next shot's a touch. We're not talking uh, a goal. Sorry, we're not talking about whether or not this is dog. So we're talking about whether or not he's committed a foul in the box and he's run through his legs without touching the ball. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, Easy. If, yeah. We, if we're having a dog so discussion, fair play, different discussion. You know, is the next touch going to be a shot? Is it going to be a good position? All of that matters. But whether or not it's a free kick in the box is a very clear cut decision. And and I think he's lucky he doesn't get a, a yellow card for this because it's a footballing challenge. Sure, I mean a, a dicey one at best. But I I think you it? should expect a yellow a yellow card for. Well, it's not a handball. It's not a drag back. It's not it's not that stuff that moves you into the the lack of protection from being in the box and double jeopardy, right? But I, I think you do this anywhere else on the field, this is a yellow card, right? Like you can't just run through someone who's in the air like that and not get away without a card. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I just find it bizarre. Well, So even even when it gets corrected to a penalty, I still think it was wrong not to award the card. I mean, speaking of bizarre, I mean, when they finally do get to awarding it, ref blows the whistle, the Melbourne players are, beside themselves arguing with the ref and I'm just like this is weird How, what case are you making here you know alien abduction or what you see Costa going to get the ball and then um Rufa goes no no mate I've got this you know Alex Rufa of three goals in 130 something games he's on a roll to, though to be fair to this season yeah 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 and he has scored a pen before but you're also thinking Costa is red hot Surely you're letting him. No, no, you're taking it yourself. Is he red hot from the penalty spot, though? Yeah, no, I mean, fair I mean, juice, but it's a pretty yeah. mental game taking a penalty, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think, I think the fact that Costa said after the game that Roof has been hitting them better in training than he has from the spot says it all. I mean, that wasn't what he said re- like when he came off the field, though. He was just like, yeah, but Roof's wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the skipper. I'm like, mm. yeah, but it's, uh, uh, yeah. I I think it's fair enough. I think I think just because you're in red hot form in front of goal doesn't mean you're necessarily red hot form from the spot. And this oh, is our no. first one this season. I think it, I think it's it, you know they they had that discussion on the field. And I I think if Costa really wanted it, I'm sure Roofs would have said, "All right, mate, you can have it." But I think I think he probably was a bit iffy and went, "You know what? Actually, I'm happy not to have the pressure on me." Alex seems to gravitate towards, I mean, I mean, his other penalty was the same kind of scenario. It's just, he went, nah, I'm the skipper, I'm taking this. Which, I commend his bravery, but Jesus, he, I mean, I'm already fully grey, but I'm sure I've got more grey hairs after that. Dave, I'm sure you didn't watch it, so I'll have to ask Dale. This is pretty competent, right? He's just sent him one way, sent the ball the other. Yeah, I think it's the same as his Adelaide one, I think. Yeah, it wasn't exactly, you know, in the, in the corner. But, yeah, keeper goes the wrong way. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, maybe there's an element of, you know, yeah, keepers prepare for certain people to be taking penalties. And Roof is probably not in your top four or five that you're doing your background yeah. research on about top, where they're taking it. Top so, 10, mate. And, and, you know, looking at the replay, and maybe it's a, a little bit, you know, clouded by, I know, in the result. But as I didn't look like he was confident about what to do. Um, he just kind of threw himself somewhere. And if you're the captain and you're 
you take it and you, you score. I mean, I mean that's that's some big balls because I know he caught an unfair amount of criticism from fans, and um, I get, I don't think I'm sure he's probably aware of that. Um, and to still put yourself in that position, given everything, you know, the the state of the game, who we're playing, the crowd, you know, all that kind of stuff, being down to ten men and still being confident to do it, good on him. Yeah, and I think I think you can see some of that passion in the celebration as well, right? Like I don't know, I don't know what he's saying, but in that celebration, there's a there's a lot of gesturing and pointing at the ground, and I'm sure he's saying something like, "This is our house," or you know, something. But he's he's definitely there's some passion that he's wearing on his sleeve there in that celebration as well. And obviously, the the game situation stuff will have fed into that, but clearly, it does show some of that passion that that not only him as a captain, but probably the whole team are feeling about some of that stuff of you know that they, they'd put in a huge effort there and came away with something from it. Um, mm. it's, it's pretty fantastic. And it shows, shows I, I guess, a level of care that you might not see from every A-League player. I, I want to give um, Alex Rufa one last plaudit, just because I think sometimes we forget where he's come from. As much as he's a bit of a storied family in New Zealand, there was a time where he was told, told by the Knicks, that's it, you're done. We're, we're basically not playing you, you know, we'll give you a mutual sort of thing or you can go down to the reserves. And he went, no, I'm staying and toughed it out. And that's, was Ernie, was it Ernie? And, uh, I think it was uh, when Rudan came in and he was off contract, I think. And he basically trialed despite being at the club uh, and was re-signed, I think, by Rudan. That's that's my recollection anyway. So, you know, he's come from that. He's obviously a strong character that, you know, believes in himself and has been trying to prove that. I think that's, you know, it, it seems to be a, the the trajectory of his career. That was a very low ebb. And since then, he's been going up and kind of seems to be enjoying proving himself kind of every week. Long may that continue. Um, we've probably talked too much about the men's. Um, it was a good game, though it does leave us top of the table still, um, which is fantastic. Uh, but we should, should get on to the women's game. Unfortunately, less successful, but against Melbourne City, this is probably not a shock to most people. A lot of a lot of quality across the park. Not a tremendous amount in front of goal for Melbourne City that we'll get along to a bit later. Um, some certain individuals who couldn't hit the side of a barn from three yards, quite literally. That first half, Dave, is under the pump the right term? I mean, I, I can't think of a, a stronger word for it. Honestly, like I, I didn't even end up watching this whole game because that first half was tough, man. They they were just knocking on the door for 45 minutes. And, you know, we had our moments. We were we There were bits and pieces where we played some football, but honestly, the tide was just washing in towards our goal and you were you were waiting for them to score and they just seem to really be struggling to actually score it and not through lack of chances that's for damn sure um and again they're such a quality side they should be in that situation with that many chances they should have put us to the sword but they didn't they didn't even manage a goal in the first half it was just unbelievable and the few the few kind of actual shots they manage are pretty tame efforts into foster's hands basically um but yeah it was just all their ball, all their attack, and us us basically clearing it out and them having another go um, for 45 minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm probably being a little harsh there, but that's certainly how it felt. It didn't feel like we were in this game, and it didn't feel like 
we were we were going to do anything other than maybe nick one on the counter and even that felt unlikely it felt to me that it was basically it would go out to grosso and grosso would just run through three players and they would set up and hit a tame shot it just seemed like it was on a loop that was uh, who helena said was was their kind of playmaker from from left back wasn't it? i think that or she inverts and yeah i mean i only saw saw bits of this as well but it just seemed like everything came down the, the left side and it was through her yeah um and while they may not have had you know absolutely clinical chances in, in the first half they had a couple more in, in the second half but she looks like a you know very quality player that um you know any team would, would love to have yeah it certainly doesn't help when you you know one of your defenders can can do that that's for sure it seemed like the second half was a lot more um polished i don't really want to bang on about that first half because i don't know that there's much that we can say the passing was it wasn't great just the the combinations didn't seem to be there and considering that that team has you know it wasn't like they had a whole lot of new starters in there i think there's only Cox, who's vaguely new, and everyone else that's been pretty much the core part of that team. It just didn't feel like they're on the the same page, like they're a bit travel-weary or something. Is that possible? Uh, and I haven't haven't actually checked, but it feels like just about for every game we've had some change to this, the start 11 where it seemed to be... I don't I don't know if... And, and some, in some ways that might be, you know, horses for courses and, and all that. You do, yeah. I think as the men's show, you can get a lot of consistency by playing the the same players. But I feel like, you know, we've had lots of players in and out, doing you know different positions. It just feels like we just haven't had that consistency for a good run of peer, you know, a good run of games to really show what as a as a group can can achieve as opposed to kind of like eleven players on a field. Yeah, for mine, it just it felt. I mean, yeah, I do take your point that there has been a little bit of chopping and changing and consistency is obviously good but it felt like there was a lot of individual errors like especially with with Grosso people were just consistently diving in on her trying to you know not just pushing her out wide and keeping her out there and just respecting her ability to play with the ball a lot of I mean even um Barry she dived in a lot she normally she normally connects with them but man she was com- committing and I reckon a bit over committing at times on the cover it just seemed really strange that they were it almost like that felt like they weren't confident about in their own ability to hold city out maybe and and i think if, if it was just that that's probably fair i mean city are a very good side right so i think i think if it's that that's that's probably not an unreasonable feeling to have but to me i think linking back to what dale was saying i think that that consistency might have to two parts to it right because we've had some injuries we've had some new new people sign and that kind of stuff to cover injury and and bits and pieces of that that are always going to feed into a lack of consistency but i think part of it as well is probably both coach and players haven't quite worked out what their best kind of formation and roles and tactics are i think there's there's a bit of tinkering going on there still and some of that might be trying to figure out what the best role for certain people in the best position. Cause I, I don't think we've got an out and out nine on the field. I mean, Speckmeyer's doing a decent job up there, but that's not traditionally her role. It's a bit, a bit of a new role for her. I don't think Cox necessarily is playing her usual role. I think, I think there's a lot of people kind of not quite doing what they're used to, but not yet confident in what they're being asked to do either. You know, I think there are a few there who are doing some things um, that they're used to, but I think there's a lot of players probably 
being asked to perform a different role in a different structure than they're used to. But then I also think we might be doing a little bit of tinkering to oppositions as well. So we are having that discussion of against City, here's what you're going to do that's different from what you already weren't quite confident with. And so I wonder if that's kind of playing into it a bit, that that lack of consistency due to, you know, that just trying to figure out what our best 11 and our best, our best, you know, everything is combined with, and we're going to tweak it again in a slightly different way to what we did last week as well. You know, I think all of that might be feeding into it. Is this maybe also a consequence uh, of the small football that they play? There's a lot of movement off the ball and there's a lot of moving your position about in that if you turn that ball over, you can kind of get caught out a little bit. I mean, that, I, I've never really played that style of football, but it seems like that would be very hard to track that that team dynamic and working that you know the toing and froing around to get that positional play right. I mean, have you you guys had much experience with it? Yeah, the two the two goalkeepers have always played small football, mate. That's that's exactly the it's, game we've It is no, the way I, now, I think, Yeah, no, I, I think you're right though. I think that has to be part of it. But uh, yeah, I've never played that sort of style either. But I I would imagine there has to be a level of understanding and trust of where other people are going to be in that kind of structure, right? You know, if you are going to be pushing slightly out of your own positions or they are, you need to all have trust in the other people to, to to fill the gaps and move in the ways you're expecting them to. And I don't think that's happening. I think people are not in the positions that other people are expecting them to be in. And it, it all just feeds into a bit of, you know, easy to hit a pass to the wrong spot or take a bad touch and it's the turnover, you know, that kind of stuff, I think is a lot of the mistakes we're seeing people people rushing in or diving in on a tackle and there's no cover behind them and all that kind of stuff just feels part and parcel of, of that not quite clicking but it doesn't feel like an insurmountable fix right like it feels like minor tweaks should help but what the right tweaks are is difficult i mean the fact that all seven games have been lost by a goal shows that we're not hugely far off and i don't no. think you know there's any games that we've been looked like we should have got smashed and just haven't you know and that's that's a different from previous seasons but it, it does show that, that a couple of bad decisions or bad reads or something like that you know puts you behind and, and then it's struggling to get back from there but it's uh, it must be it must be absolutely frustrating to be to be like that uh, to know that you're there or thereabouts and in a league how close it is now you know if you turned a couple of those you know into wins or draws you know it would probably be four or five places up on the table you know it's it's yeah we're on a, a bad run but it's it i think it maybe it looks slightly worse than it actually is i don't know and i think as well it must be frustrating when you know the first half does go very against you it's it's very one-sided traffic but obviously that halftime talk has the right tweaks in it because the second half is a different game you know we're much more competitive the chances come and that half plays out one all uh, no sorry it's still 2-1 because both goals from the second half but it, it's a much more even half right you, you got a bit lucky in the first because um, they should have scored a bunch. You should have been down by a couple of we were just lucky they weren't. But it does show that the, those tweaks are there and that they are able to change. But it's just how do you how do you take that into the first minute rather than the forty sixth minute? Yeah, just I mean, just to touch on that. Uh, Temple said post game that their sort of plan was just to stay in the game for as long as possible um, and, and then find a, a time at which she thought you could you could go for the for the juggler. And they said. So they they went a bit early and in, in playing a bit more proactive because they scored just after halftime. So they felt they needed the time as much time to kind of do that, which is, a, I guess, in some ways, a slightly you can take that two ways. Either it's a, a very defensive way to to think about it, or it's um, you know it's tinkering for the opposition. Yeah, I don't think they'd do that with any other team. 
yeah, City are like yeah. six points ahead at top of the table and lost like a couple of games. Like, it's not an unreasonable approach to take. No. They, they could have been easily clear, though. I think this game was still kind of in the offing. I mean, we saw a couple of guilty chances go amiss. Um, the main one being Hannah Wilkinson again. Jesus, when she misses, she misses a misses a clanger at times. This is off the off the crossbar and straight down to her quickly, mind. But three yards out with not a person in front of her, she's managed to put it over the top of the goal. Don't yeah. think I've seen a miss like that before. Just needed the uh, Connor Chapman way of just standing there and letting the ball hit you, and it probably would have dribbled in. Yeah, I mean the fact that she fell backwards trying to do it and ended up just booting it over the top. I'm just like, just fall on it. If you just fell on it, the ball would r- trickle over. I-, I don't know what it is about her. She can score great goals, but man, she can miss some easy ones at times. Yeah, there there was um, an interesting sub I want to talk about. Uh, McMeekin coming on, she made a bit of a difference. Um, I'm. It, it's a shame that we've obviously got two good left-sided fullbacks now in Foster and McMeekin. She's she's quite a different character to the rest of the team. I find very physical. That that um, tackle she put on on the loose ball where she in the final third to. Fashion, well, not a chance, but certainly a, an opportunity. Not something we see from the rest of the team. There's definitely a bit of steel to her and a bit of physicality. I, it crossed my mind about whether she might be a, a decent winger, like with a little bit of, you know, she has a she's little got bit no of... no pace, mate. A little, you don't think so? I uh, think she's got a bit of a gangly, gangly run on her. I think I think she'd be bumping off fullbacks left, right and centre if she, she got up there enough. I thought that was her problem when she first started, was that she could run all day, but... She just didn't have that top end speed. I mean, I might be wrong. In my defence, the low low camera angles, you can't tell anything. Everyone's running away from you all the time. It's hard to see whether anyone's actually quick or not. Uh, and even if that's true, the kind of physicality she's bringing and an engine would still be a problem for for you know defensive players to be dealing with, right? If that's coming at you all day, that physically. I think even if even if you don't have the top speed, you probably are eventually going to wear down a defender enough to to create some chances for yourself and, and earn yourself a bit of bit of space. What about a box to box midfielder? I was thinking, yeah, somewhere in that midfield. I don't know what you know her touch, her pass and touches like, but certainly she runs a lot and doesn't mind throwing herself into things. You could make an absolute nuisance of yourself. It'd be it'd be an interesting proposition to, to see. Obviously, Foster seems to be getting pushed more into that central midfield role with the injuries and absences. I don't know. Obviously, we're, we're spitballing because we've seen how good the team can be and they've just fallen away a little bit. We should probably talk about uh, have we have our expectations shifted? I mean, having seen them in the first half of the season, have we shifted our expectations too high? I mean, there's a clear difference between Phoenix at home and the Phoenix away. And I guess, yeah, at the start we had quite a few home games. And so if I see that, and at that point we probably didn't, we didn't realise the troubles we would have been away. So we perhaps did get our expectations high because we assumed they'd just pick that up and take that to Australia. You know, that, that, that game being taken away from us into Sydney oh. is problematic because it means, yeah, two we've got two extra away games than we do home games. And 
based on how we've split those so far, that's basically a five to six point swing, really, <laughs> that we've, you know, kind of lost. And, you know, if you, if you took that, you know, you'd be, you know, well up the, you know, well further up the table. But it, it, we don't have that many games to go at home. I think there's three, I think, in New Zealand, maybe, out of eight, is it? And quite a few, anyway. Is that a, a, a women's A-League thing, though, that uh, teams struggle more on the road? I, I'm curious. I don't know the numbers. But it seems to me like... I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I, I think the interesting part for me is that, I mean, historically, this has been a Phoenix thing, right? We we know on the men's side that many years, you know, back in the early years, for example, we were we were trying all sorts of things to figure out how to improve our away form because we struggled away. You know, we had Fortress Wellington and then biff every point away we possibly could overseas. <laughs> and it's taken us a lot of years to try and kind of figure that out and I, I'm not saying we've necessarily got it nailed on the men's side but we certainly have uh, at least covered up some of the holes right you know we are our away form is much better than it used to be um, and I don't know that necessarily we have that same fortress Wellington anymore right but you would think as a club and with the staff and all the things they've tried over the years they would have a good idea of what could help for the women's side, you know, some things to try that either work for the men or avoid some of the pitfalls of things that didn't work. But we seem to somehow have, yeah, fallen down that hole again and not quite be able to get out of it, which I don't know whether that's just that it is going to be different from a woman. That's a, it's a different culture. It's a different league. And there's a lot of different factors in there. Or if we just aren't taking the learnings of the past and bringing them across quite the way we should, um, or at least haven't triggered that as quickly as we maybe could have. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's a, a thing that continues or whether it is a thing that we're able to take the learnings from the club's history and kind of fix up pretty quick because we sure as hell spent a lot of years trying a lot of things to figure out how we could fix away trips. And I think at least to my mind, on the men's side, it looks like we found something that looks like it works. Yeah, I, I do definitely agree with you that, you know, we've had to sort it out with the men, but I, I do wonder if the other things that the women, the women's players have to cope with, you know, having a job or study, you know, all these other things, that's going to make travelling even more difficult. You know, it, potentially it's a whole nother scenario that we've got to work out but you know that's what the club's for i guess this is kind of their first full proper hit out with a, a home and away that's only going to get bigger as the um as the league grows um we should crack on because we've been an hour and dale i think probably wants to get to bed after editing this because i certainly do uh the women are playing canberra in pori rua uh, 5 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, the men are playing the Jets away at 8 p.m. in Jetsylvania. Another downer to end this on. The, there was... How to put this? There were some pricks that showed up to the the game, nominally and supported Knicks, uh, who set up... Basically set up a stall next to the away fans and started some shit i didn't see this but for my mind if you go down to the away end and start shit you're an asshole um dave you know a bit more about it than i did you were at the ground dale i don't know if you do or not i mean i i think i think i'll i'll walk back your comments slightly 
and focus on a positive because I, I think I think the reality is uh, there's a lot of conjecture, there's a lot of rumor. Clearly, clearly, some stuff that was not ideal went down. But even the away fans haven't said that it was you know some kind of full on brawl or something. It sounds like a bit of handbags and and no one covered themselves in glory and okay, f- fair dues, right? But I think I think for me the real positive out of this has been the fact that us as a fan group have come out very strongly against that and said we don't condone that at all and the club have come out and said exactly the same and that has been universally supported except for by a few dickheads on social media who want to think of themselves as being cool or whatever and to be honest stuff here you can you can piss off as far as i'm concerned i think the the core of the club the core of the fans have all said this is completely unacceptable and the biggest positive for me out of out of that is a united stance but b that other clubs and other fan groups have said, yep, we know that's not you. That's not what an away trip to Wellington is like. This is clearly an outlier. You know, this is some people who are not your regular fans. This is not what going to Sky Stadium and going to a Phoenix home game is like. And that's been pretty universal across the board, which I think is really good. I think the fact that the club put out a statement today suggesting that they would they would love to be able to figure out who this is but and, and press some charges or put some life bans on them or whatever – didn't sound to me like they think they will. The the tone to me reading that was they would love to be able to, but they also are recognizing the reality several days in that maybe the footage isn't going to be as definitive as they'd like, that maybe they're not going to figure out who this is. But maybe maybe that's just me misreading that. But I think it's really good that the stance from all of the people who are most involved in this club is united, that this is this is not what we expect. And if you want to be doing that, don't come to our games, please. I think it's probably a good chance that they they have visuals of people involved, but identifying them is quite different from having visuals of them. You know, like yeah. CCTV, it, the quality of CCTV can be quite variable. And if you've got a slightly grainy version, it's pretty yeah. hard to actually pinpoint who that is. Like me from a 50 yards away probably looks quite like Frosty. Um, I don't think anyone's mistaking us, pal. <laughs> You're nowhere near grey enough. Well, we do know one person who's been a, a, accused of, of starting trouble at uh, a, a f- football ground when he was 700 kilometres away. So these two things have, which is unfortunate, you know, it'd be nice if um, at the time security actually did the job that they were paid Agreed. for money to do. And that is to one, keep the away bay away. And there was, from what it seems, some lead up that yeah. uh, before the actual fighting that went on, to give some some warnings that uh, perhaps something worse was going to happen, and by the sounds of it, they did jack all. So um, I'm sure the Phoenix will be annoyed because one uh, of obviously, obviously the publicity, but now they're probably going to have to employ probably twice as many red red badge security people because they couldn't do the job in the first place as a, as a safety for next time, which is yeah a pretty shit shit um, yeah scenario to be in it's it's hard right because you, you don't have to go back that far in our memories to remember when you know you used to have security on the aisle coming into yellow fever zone checking tickets making sure you had tickets to that bay and all that kind of stuff you know we used to have 10 times as many security guards at the grounds and i'm glad we've got away from that but i do think we need to make sure we've got that balance right of whatever security guards are there are actually doing the job they're there to do um, and it, it's interesting because there's been there's been a lot of condemnation of allowing you know home fans in the away bay, and I think that's probably fair cop. But I've been to games in in Melbourne at Amy Park where we've you know it's been a city game, and there, there's 30, 40 city fans in city shirts there in the away bay for the entire game, and security just don't care about it. And that that's a ground where they actually do have trouble with that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, they have more trouble at victory games, 
generally speaking but it's just interesting that there isn't some kind of universal thing either where it's it's not like there's completely no home fans in away ends at every other ground in the league and we're the odd one out i think the key thing would have been recognizing when something's sparking up there and doing something about it at that point and that's the opportunity they missed and whether that was missed because the person there was just not you know not paying attention or whether it was straight up that there was no security guard there to even notice it kind of arcing up before it kicked off you know um, and that's the sort of stuff that I think the club as much as I want to see you know if they can identify them they should be throwing the book at them I think I will be equally happy if we don't identify these people but do take some positive steps in that area okay Dave you've convinced me they're still assholes but you know Oh, don't disagree at all. But I think we can we can look at it positively rather than just slagging off a couple dickheads who are, you know, fifteen year olds who live at home, you know. They can they can even if they don't get caught, learn a lesson. Yeah. Okay. You've converted me, mate. I'm I'll try to be more positive next time. But it won't happen. So Don't no. be as positive as Cam though. No one needs another Cam. No, no. His job in our pod is chief cheerleader is safe especially from me um i have tried to wrap it up about eight minutes ago sorry dale we've get, left you a long one so <laughs> i will just say good night thanks for listening and uh hopefully we'll still be racking up six more points for the men's and women's team over the weekend and leave those men top of the table as well thanks for listening bye Yeah.